Good morning. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia and around the nation on Facebook Live right now at facebook.com slash EW Erickson. Uh, phone line's not open yet. We'll get to them in a minute. <clears throat> Forget impeachment right now. I think there's a bigger story, particularly for here in Georgia, the Sackerson singleton race. I realize it looks like a minor situation if you don't live in that area. If you re- live around the state of Georgia, it appears to be no big deal, but it's actually a pretty significant election. Last night in the Noonan and Peachtree City area, south of Atlanta, Uh, If you're familiar with the area, uh, the northern end of this district is Tyrone, Georgia. The southern end is Moreland. Uh, The western part is the the edge of Noonan, where that Noonan bypass is, the Barnes & Noble, the theater and stuff. The the eastern edge is is Lake Peachtree. This is a, a small district for the House. David Stover was the state representative in this district. And Stover... Uh, resigned. He got married, uh, change in life issues, and, and had to resign his seat. So there was a special election. One of the people who ran for the race, there were four people who ran, one Democrat, three Republicans. And the Republican who ran, who everyone expected to win, is the daughter of the former congressman in the area, Lynn Westmoreland's daughter. In fact, she had on her campaign sign Westmoreland, so everyone knew it was her. She's actually very popular in the district. Her husband's a Superior Court judge. Uh, the family's well-liked, very popular. And she was she was out there, out front, significant margin in the primary. I saw several polls that were conducted by outside groups. She, was, she needed 50 plus one to avoid a runoff. She was at 45%. And then something happened. Her disclosures were late. Uh, people were paying attention. Why, why is she late on her disclosures? What, what's in her disclosures? Well, it turns out in her disclosures, David Ralston, the Speaker of the House in Georgia, gave her money. And she became radioactive. I started talking about it on radio myself. That she was clearly David Ralston's candidate. In fact, I'm told by a member of the state legislature that the House Republicans were all encouraged to rally behind her and shut out the other guy. Uh, there were two. There were three other people running. One was a Democrat, and they were hoping to capture anti-Trump zeal. The other was a lady I forget her name. Uh, didn't really put on a strong race. And and the other person was a combat veteran. Had two bronze stars. Was a helicopter pilot in Afghanistan, uh, in combat zones. Named Philip Singleton. And I and a bunch of conservatives backed Philip Singleton when it became very clear Ralston was giving this woman money, and lobbyists were giving her money, and other politicians were giving her money. Uh, Singleton got one five hundred dollar contribution from a politician. I I, I saw that. Uh, there were tens of thousands of dollars raised for, for the Westmoreland candidate uh, from lobbyists and politicians in Atlanta. The Speaker of the House uh, had consultants tied into the GOP establishment in Georgia. And what started happening when the race began changing is some Republicans got together with the Democrats and tried to push the Democrat into the runoff, thinking all of the Republicans would rally to Westmoreland Sacrison. Once they got into the runoff, uh, but keep Singleton out of the race, the conservatives were rallying to him. If you could unite all the Democrats in the district and some of the Republicans, you could get a Democrat and a Republican into the runoff, have a general election, ensure the Republican won, and it didn't work out. Not only did it not work out, but Singleton came in first, headed into the runoff. Once people got the message out that this is the speaker's candidate, this is the speaker's candidate. 
Westmoreland Sackerson went down in the poll. She was at 45% right before the, I, I think she got 20-some percent headed into the runoff, which wasn't good considering where she was in the polling. And by the way, I trust the polling. Small district, but had a good margin of error, had a good sample of people inside the district to show that she was in a very strong position. And she gets into the runoff, and it, it becomes a, just a, a slugfest. It becomes really, really nasty. And she has a ton of money outspending Singleton. She's portraying him as a rhino. She says he didn't vote for President Trump in 2016, and that's true. He didn't vote for Trump in 2016. He was in an active combat zone in Afghanistan and didn't vote for anybody. He didn't cast a ballot. He was too busy trying to avoid getting killed. That hurt her. It, that was a move of desperation. And then they got really nasty and started calling him a rhino. You couldn't trust him. He had run as an independent for Congress. Uh, in, when, that, when Lynn Westmoreland left, they ran, he ran for Congress. Drew Ferguson was, became the congressman, uh, but he ran against Ferguson as an independent. said he wasn't a Republican. He wasn't a Democrat. Uh, he was for smaller government. Neither the Republicans nor the Democrats supported smaller government, so he wasn't either one. And he lost. And so they attacked him for that, that he wasn't a real Republican. He was a rhino. And he said to the extent the Republicans abandoned their pledge for smaller government, yeah, I guess he was. Um, that They keep promising smaller government. They keep refusing to deliver it. But then he kept pounding him. He didn't want to, by the way. He tried to avoid making this a case about the Speaker, but ultimately the Speaker was pouring money in against him with his opponent. The Speaker was encouraging others to pour money in against him. And so he made it about the speaker, and he said, you know, this woman is not going to stand up to the speaker. She's not going to stand up to him. She's not going to stand up to Atlanta politicians, and the speaker needs to go. The Republicans are going to lose in 2020 if the speaker stays. And he won with 58% of the vote last night. He won a campaign by running against the Speaker of the House in a Republican district. Now, in a Republican district in Georgia where the speaker— much of the state House Republican caucus and many lobbyists in Atlanta are pouring money in against him. He won. That should scare the mess out of Republicans statewide that in a Republican district, by making it a referendum on the Speaker of the House, the Republican won. That should actually bother them tremendously because that's a Republican district. The, the, the Democrats only need 16 seats in Georgia to get back the House of Representatives. They only need 16 seats. And there are a number of seats where Republicans barely won. Can you imagine what would happen if the Democrats started running ad campaigns with the victims of David Ralston's clients? The clients that David Ralston, for in some cases a decade, kept from ever having to go to trial for committing crimes or allegedly committing crimes. This is incredible. And it's going to blow up in the Republicans' face here in Georgia if they don't deal with the fact that the Speaker of the House is scandal-plagued. Even Republican voters don't like him. And a Republican defied him last night and won by making his race explicitly about David Ralston. If the Republicans aren't paying attention to this, uh, they're going to have real problems. Now, now l let me give you a, a side note here. Houston Gaines is probably the most embattled Republican in the State House of Representatives. Houston Gaines is a young state representative in the Athens area. 
and his district is one that the Democrats have seen population growth in. His district is one where Hillary Clinton did exceedingly well, and he was able to hang on. All of that money the Speaker of the House directed to this special election in Noonan could have been directed to help Houston Gaines, but it wasn't. Now, he's got a year, and perhaps that's the Speaker's calculation. He's got a year. But every dollar wasted in Noonan is a dollar not spent elsewhere. The Republicans are going to have comeuppance if they don't get rid of the Speaker. Now, for those of you who don't know, um, I, I, I've talked about it several times here, but let me just give you a nutshell. The Speaker is involved in a scandal where he changed. He was on the committee that changed a law that allowed the Speaker of the House, if he was a lawyer, to delay cases indefinitely. After he changed the law, he became the Speaker and essentially monetized this. Criminal defendants could go to David Ralston, pay him $20,000 in one case at least, and their cases would never go to trial. Drag them out forever. In one case, a pastor was accused of molesting a girl. The pastor was a traveling pastor staying at the girl's house one night, and while the parents slept, he molested the girl. The case dragged out for a decade. The girl had all sorts of health issues. She couldn't get closure on the case, and finally, almost a decade after the actions they finally, because of all the outrage over it, they finally brought him to trial. He pled guilty for inappropriately touching her. He didn't go to jail. He was just sent back to Ohio, where he's from. He'll be free. It took a decade to get closure on that case, and there will be no jail time. It, it dragged out for so long. In another case, a victim came forward and said she was, was uh, beat up pretty badly by her boyfriend. And he admitted he went to David Ralston, paid him $20,000, and knew the case would get dragged out and, and was has laughed about the woman's memory getting worse over time. And this has happened repeatedly. It's happened in civil cases. It's happened in criminal cases. It's a joke in the courthouses in North Georgia. You talk to the lawyers and judges in North Georgia, they will tell you that it is just a well-known fact that if David Ralston is your lawyer, you'll probably never go to trial. Even clients, one time, you know, there was a client who wanted to go to trial and Ralston kept dragging that case out and he had to file a bar complaint against his own lawyer to get the case moving. And the Republicans are protecting him. The Republicans will not remove him as speaker. And Ralston, he got a bipartisan blue ribbon panel together and they changed the law back. And all of these, these people who went on record, well, they saw their cases go forward, but how many others didn't? And are you really going to stand up to the Speaker of the House when he sets your budget? Maybe he's just a bad lawyer. Maybe he's just lazy. I don't know. Maybe it's not a, a scheme to monetize. But it certainly looked that way to a lot of people. And now Republican voters have had enough. And in the Noonan area, they've, they've turned on David Ralston. And a candidate who, by all accounts, was well-liked, had high name ID, was her father was a popular former congressman, she lost because David Ralston gave her money. If that's not a wake-up call to the Republicans in Georgia, I don't know what will be. I, I really, I, I don't know, uh, will they pay attention to anything uh, will the, are, will self-preservation finally kick in with these Republicans? Because right now it seems they are way more scared of the speaker or way more deluded and oblivious to the fact 
that judgment day is coming for them. If they don't clean up their own house, the voters are going to clean up the house for them. If they don't take action, the voters are going to take action. And they need to recognize this. They need to understand that judgment is coming for them. And as long as they stand behind the Speaker of the House, what they're going to find is that Republican voters are more and more angry. I, You know, part of me wonders, will there be any other leaders to speak up about him? Will, will the governor get involved? Will the lieutenant governor get involved? You know, in 2020, we have redistricting. In 2020, there is redistricting. Now, whoever wins in 2020 will be in charge of redistricting. Are the Republicans willing to let the Democrats get a victory in the House and gain control of the House so they can lock in their House majority for a decade? That's what this is about. There are very real stakes in the Republicans backing the Speaker. Now, I have heard repeatedly from people the Speaker wasn't going to win it, it wasn't going to run again. But after I said that on this very show a few weeks ago, the Speaker released a statement saying he's going to run again. If he's going to run again, that means he's going to want to be Speaker again. Are the Republicans going to back him? See, a lot of them thought they could put this aside and say, no, 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 he's not really going to run again. We can wait. And I don't think they can. But now the speakers come out and said, oh, by God, I'm going to run again. Judgment day is coming for the Republicans. You should tell your state representative. If you've got a Republican state representative, you need to tell him judgment day is coming for them. If they stand behind the speaker, you're not going to stand behind them. They need to know. You do not want the Democrats to gain control of the state house. They only need 16 seats, and most of those are in seats Donald Trump either lost or barely won. In 2016, Judgment Day is coming. If you don't believe me, look at House District 71. In House District 71, the lawyers, the lobbyists, the politicians, the speaker, they all poured money in. They outspent the other guy, and the other guy won. Yes, you should. In fact, it'll be going out later today. If you want my recipe, uh, text the word recipe to 33777. Phone lines are now open as well. We'll take your phone calls, 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. We do need to get into national news as well here in this hour, and we will circle back uh, to Georgia news in the second hour. I I, got to tell you, I am... Yeah, the news coverage. Can we just acknowledge the news coverage is somewhat of an emotional roller coaster? The media wants us to be convinced this is a super serious matter, and they are certainly pushing Democrat talking points uh, with the president's impeachment. The problem, though, is that they've been doing this for a long time, and this seems to almost be uh, reporters crying wolf. And is there really a wolf this time or is there something else? I, I want to put you, you run this montage by you. This is audio that stretches from 2017 all the way into 2019 of, of media coverage. Breaking news. A bombshell. Today is a turning point. Today was historically bad for President Trump. Today was a turning point. A turning point. We're at a turning point here. The beginning of the end for the Trump presidency. We have another bombshell. Mike Pence might have to assume the office of the presidency. Rumblings of the word impeachment. Breaking news. Another bombshell out of the White House. I believe this is the beginning of the end. I do too. It's really the beginning of the end. He may be feeling the walls closing in on him. All the walls closing in on him. The walls closing in in on him. Breaking news, a new bombshell. One astrologer says this means the beginning of the end for President Donald Trump. Trump will resign. Trump is going to resign. Is this the tipping point? I know we've said it, 
over and over. You think this is a tipping point? And over and over. This is a tipping point. And over and over. Breaking news, President Trump off the rails. It was the beginning of the end today. The beginning of the end. Breaking news tonight, new bombshell. This is the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The walls are closing in. The walls closing in. The walls closing in. Breaking overnight bombshell. This is a very dramatic day, and I think it might be near a tipping point. Do you think this is a tipping point? December 1st, 2017, you can mark it down. This is the day that everything changed. The beginning of the end. Beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. We begin tonight with a bombshell. Donald Trump is in a lot of trouble. Trump is in trouble. The president will resign. Another hour, another bombshell. This is a tipping point. Trump's going down. This president could be impeached. Resignation. Resignation. I don't think this president is going to serve out his term. Mr. Trump will not serve out his term. He will not serve out his term. No way. Know how. Breaking news. Absolute bomb. Donald Trump is not. He's done. And it's over. It's over. The wall's closing in. The wall's closing in. This is going to be the Achilles Hill. Breaking news tonight. I expect Trump to depart. This week will be the watershed week. Trump is in big trouble. Trump's in a lot of trouble. It's a sign of a terrified old man who feels the walls closing in. The walls are increasingly closing in on him. Tonight, the walls are closing in. Today changed everything. This is the beginning of the end. Today, the biggest tipping point for the Trump administration. Historic day, the bombshells. He's underwater. He feels the walls closing in. Turning point. We may be at a tipping point. It's the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. Another bombshell. 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 This is a bombshell. It is. A- <laughs> By the way, that stretched from the beginning of 2017 all the way into 2019. That montage, bombshell, 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 beginning of the end, beginning, turning point, tipping point, end, drop, orange man, bad. I, you you got you to gotta re- hear this audio sometimes to keep your perspective on this because it sounds really bad. And I do think that it, because of the way the president um, has kind of ignored some of his advisors who have steered him out of trouble, he may very well have found himself in some trouble. But you do need this perspective every time you think uh, that that something bad is happening. Just remember that audio. Remember that the Democrats have been crying wolf about this stuff for a very long time. Since the beginning of his administration, they've been doing this. I'm totally going to play this again before the show is out today. I am totally going to play it again. Because I there there is troublesome news out there. Notice I, I'm actually downplaying it right now. Because I, I don't think it's helpful to come out every day like the news media is doing. Say, Impeachment update. There's plenty of other news going on out there. There's plenty of other stuff. We got Mark Zuckerberg caught on audio talking about Elizabeth Warren and, and breaking up Facebook. We've got Spider-Man is back in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Eating red meat turns out not to be terrible for you. We were, we're actually going to talk about eating red meat not being bad for you. New study and the environmentalists out there are livid at the scientists. They want a retraction in the study, not because it's medically unsound, but because if people actually follow the advice, it'll be bad for the environment. I'm not making that up. There's a lot of other news out there. And of course, the president and the border wall. And the president wants a moat filled with alligators. I know where he got that from. I want to talk to you about that when we come back. But before we get there, 
I want to spend a little bit on the rise of homeless camps around the country. You know, Rome's been dealing with this issue. Atlanta, as well, has been dealing with the issue. Savannah and Macon, all dealing with homelessness and, and people parking on the streets and local communities not sure what to do with it and, and basically turning a blind eye to it and saying, I guess we'll just put it in a law that they can do it. Let's talk about that when we come back. So, for those of you listening in South Georgia, <laughs> um, the uh, Argentine black and white Tegas is being sighted in South Georgia on trail cams. Uh, they are giant lizards. Think uh, Komodo dragons, but not quite as small. They get to be uh, four feet long. They are not native. People keep them as pets, and they get to be giant, and they get released. Idiot. You know, this is what this is the whole python issue down in South Florida. People were having pythons. They didn't know what to do with them. Instead of giving them to a zoo, they released them into the wild, and now you've got this massive um, ecological damage being done by the pythons that are not native to the Everglades eating the alligators and the deer and everything else. Well, the Georgia Department of Natural Resources has been working since the beginning of the year to trap the tegus. Uh, cited in tombs in Tattano counties in South Georgia. It's investigating reports in other parts of Georgia. People have been seeing them crossing dirt roads. They've shown up on trail cameras. According to a report last year, much of the South and Northern Mexico contained suitable habitat. And Argentine black and white tegases can draw. This is just horrific. They're not native. It's illegal to release them in the wild. Uh, They've got few predators, can multiply quickly. Females reproduce. They can reach uh, 12 inches long, lay 35 eggs a year. They're not aggressive, but they'll defend themselves. They've got sharp teeth and claws and strong jaws. Birds and small animals and insects are uh, targets. They eat fruit, vegetables, plants, pet food, Eggs of chickens, ground-nesting birds, other reptiles, including alligators and uh, tortoises. My goodness gracious. Um, The large lizard hasn't been spotted this far north yet, but DNR is asking the public to let it know if you happen to see one. Essentially, they're large black and white lizards, and they cannot be released in the wild. And you got to be careful. So just keep in mind, just watch out. This is a random story. I realize it, it just crossed my desk. Um, wow. Uh, we got a, an Argentine lizard invasion because idiots who have them drop them off in the wild instead of taking them to an animal shelter when they're tired of them. I don't know why people do that with pets. Aggravating. Okay. Now, I want to talk about something. That is not, it's political, but it, it's not Trump related. Can we do that? Can we talk about something other than the president? He lives rent free in so many people's heads these days. I don't understand why we need to make everything about the president. Um, by the way, you should know Gallup polling just came out. The Supreme Court, uh, the most popular it's been in more than a decade. Interesting after the Kavanaugh situation. Well, I don't want to talk about the Supreme Court. I want to talk about homelessness. Listen to this from Fox News. I think people have to understand just how serious the crisis is in California. I mean, murders and rapes in Los Angeles have gone up 16% and 31% over the last year. 
Fentanyl deaths are over are twice as high this year as they were at the same period last year. You have the residents of San Francisco, as you said, they're taking uh, the law into their own hands, trying to deal with the crisis in pretty extreme ways. Mm -hmm. People can't walk on the streets. They can't push their baby strollers on the streets. The streets are covered with feces. They're covered with infected needles. People shoot drugs in the street. We're dealing with a complete breakdown of social norms here. There needs to be a state of emergency to deal with the housing shortage, to deal with the drug epidemic, and to deal with the mental health crisis. But what we actually the... have psychiatric beds available. We have the resources available. The government is absolutely failing to take action. This is Los Angeles, not San Francisco. We've heard a lot about San Francisco, not Los Angeles here. Uh, they're increasingly turning a blind eye to homelessness, and it, it's a growing issue in progressive enclaves around the country that homelessness is not a problem if you don't treat it as a problem. In Austin, Texas, the mayor of Austin, Texas, is asking the police to stop carrying guns and tasers and instead carry four-foot-long rope. Why should the police be carrying rope in Austin, Texas? Because the homeless are allowed to set up camp outside of a four-foot distance from someone's private property. And as long as the, the outer edge of the homeless encampment is four feet from the private property, they're not breaking the law. And the mayor wants the police to do that. Y'all, this is crazy. Let me tell you what's going on here. You genuinely cannot understand this, or frankly, you can't understand the, the horrific story in the New York Times of child abuse and, and the child pornography epidemic that's happening online and, and spreading around the world. Uh, you can't understand any of this without understanding the collapse in the Western civilization of Western Judeo-Christian society. You, you can't. And now, I, I know, I know. I'm playing with fire here by doing this because it drives secularists insane when you say this, but it's true. It is absolutely true. True dad. Uh, true. <laughs> Siri. <laughs> wow. Um, all right, Siri. L let me let me break this down for you. You really, if, if you're wondering why this happened, why in the last few years has there suddenly been this push in highly secular enclaves that are deeply antagonistic to religion, to allow homelessness to fester in a way that harms private property, harms the homeless people, and treats them as if they're not a problem or a nuisance or everything's just fine with them. And it has everything to do with secularism becoming its own religion, with its own doctrines and dogmas, with its own, uh, with its own sacraments, with its own liturgy, with its own ecclesiology. Here's what's going on. In actual real faith you are told to take care of the widows the orphans the poor the refugees that's christianity in a nutshell that's amos that's the book of amos take care of the widows the refugees the poor the um they take care of the homeless take care of them what we're seeing is a grand perversion in secular society of this to if we don't define it as a problem it's not a problem but more than that uh, a reckless misunderstanding of individuality and that somehow these are all individual decisions. We see this with transgenderism as well, um, that it's an individual decision and who are we to judge? It's, it's a twisting of historic faith into something that it never has been as well. 
um, that it is it's a perversion of individuality. Um, it is a an ideal by the secularists that if we decide that this is not a problem, it's not a problem. And we can turn a blind eye to it. Uh, and and it, it's this idea that in the secular religion, we live our best life now, very Joel Osteen. And when the homeless person decides to camp on the street, they're living their best life. But there's also something more to it than that. And it ties in all of these these terrible stories. And, you know, in Macon, where I am, we've been dealing with this as well. Local businesses are saying that, and in Rome, you've had the situation where local businesses are saying we, we got to deal with the homeless population. We got to do something. The local tattoo artist, interestingly enough, in, in the the article in Macon on, on the thirteen uh, WMAZ website, the local tattoo artist uh, says this is this is. I mean, well, let me let me actually read the quote for you because it, it's better if I read you his exact words. Um, there's a local local homeless man uh, who's been threatening. Uh, local business owners. He slashed tires for one of the local business owners. And then there's the, the redemption tattoo artist who says of this homeless man, he cleans up, he sweeps the sidewalks, he picks up cigarette butts. He's never asked me for anything. As far as I know, he's the best bum around Macon. The best bum around Macon. And we have a lot of bums. That's what this guy actually said. That's an actual quote from a tattoo artist in Macon, Georgia. So he, we've been trained as a secular society. We're not allowed to look and see that people have a screwed up life. We're not allowed to see that um, people have problems. We're not allowed to look on um, neurological, sociological disorders and say that they're disorders. Everything's got to be defined as normal in secular religion. The only deviant thing in secular religion is true religion. I think it was Gertrude Himmelfarb who noted that deviancy is, is defined downward, that the, the two-parent nuclear household is defined as deviant, where deviant is propped up as somehow normal. We're to look at normalcy and look at it as bad. We're to look at the people going to church on Sunday as somehow deviant. And we're to look at the homeless guy who slashes people's tires when they ask him to move as, as somehow just another expression of normal in some case. And that's what we're seeing in secular society around the country. It is a way for them to not have to deal with the problem because they need their taxes to go to paying for kids' transition surgeries to transgenderism. They, they need your tax dollars to pay for anti-bullying programs in schools of, of privilege. They need your tax dollars to pay for their latest environmental wackery. But they can't use your tax dollars to fix the homeless problem. And, and oh my gosh, we're, we, we can get rid of the babies, but we can't get rid of the homeless people. It is an absolute perversion of true religion. We're not taking care of the homeless man. We're not helping him out of his destitute state. You know, with a lot of people in secular religion, that they like to quote Jesus and they say, well, Jesus says we're always going to have the poor. Yeah, but we don't. he didn't mean the exact same poor person. We're always going to have a class of poor people. We're not going to have the exact same poor person. And yet with the left, they think, let's just keep the poor. And when we see this with, with, with Elizabeth Warren, for example, in her class warfare, we, we, you know, this this goes back to the old Margaret Thatcher thing in, in her House of Commons. They, they want the rich, they're okay with the poor being poor as long as the rich are poor. Elizabeth Warren, she's okay with the poor person as long as we make the poor person comfortable. She wants to make the rich person uncomfortable and the poor person comfortable. She wants to punish the poor person if they ever try for success. Secular religion punishes success. 
you have great individuality in, in the secular religion. They have made, in more ways than conservatives who believe in individual responsibility, the left has embraced this idea of individual right. Everything you want to do is a right. The government needs to provide you everything so you can live your best life now. And that's not the way our society was ordered. But that's also not the way compassion is ordered. It is not compassionate to see the bum pick up cigarette butts and say, oh, he's the best bum of all the bums. He's the best bum. We need to leave him alone. No, why do you want to leave a man, leave a man alone who's sleeping on the street? Why do you want to leave a man alone who's ranting to himself in the middle of the night sleeping on a grate? Why do you want to leave the woman alone who's on the street with her children sleeping in a cardboard box? Why do you want to say that's okay? You're disrespecting the private property owners who pay the taxes and you're disrespecting the homeless person by telling them they're okay when they have a real problem. But you can't do that in this society. We define deviancy down. Archbishop or, or Bishop Chaput, Philadelphia says uh, evil preaches tolerance until it's dominant, then it seeks to silence good. That, that's what's happening here. We have perverted right and wrong. We perverted good and bad. The left throws scripture in so many conservatives' faces, conservatives get turned off. I mean, you know, there are a lot of conservative pastors who don't want to teach the book of Amos because it's the book the social justice warriors use. But you know what Amos says? True religion is taking care of other people in the name of God. And the left's not taking care of other people. The left is just defining it as, as not a problem, so they don't have to take care of other people. And this, by the way, this is where I think conservatives should step up and where churches in particular should step up. We have for so long abdicated responsibility to the government to take care of these problems. A lot of churches don't even have social welfare programs anymore. They send their kids off to Mexico to work on their tan to do a mission trip as opposed to looking in their own backyard. Seek the welfare of the city in which you live, not to, not to go through this again, but uh, Jeremiah 29, 7, seek the welfare of the city in which you live, and there you'll find your welfare. You're not going to find your welfare on the beach in Mexico where you're hammering a few nails and working on your tan. You're going to be helping the people in your local community with the homeless population. You got these big cities in San Francisco and in Los Angeles where it, it, it's they criminalize trying to help these people. They, they make it hard for nonprofits to help them. And it is because they don't want to have to acknowledge the problem. And it is increasingly because they don't really think there is a problem. It is increasingly because they think this is just a normal part of life. And they can turn a blind eye to it. It is not compassionate. It's illiberalism. It's not liberalism. That doesn't mean you round these people up and throw them in jail. It does mean you as a society need to figure out a way to help them. No one wants to live on the street. You know, no one really wants to prostitute themselves. You've got this, this idea on the left now that we should legalize prostitution. It's a choice. It's, it's women's empowerment. Nobody wants to prostitute themselves. But this is what's happening here is, is as these as vices and, and social ills grow in the secular religion, they're defined as normal. The sinner is the person who looks on this and says this is bad because you're casting a judgment. Well, you're supposed to, you know, the scripture actually does say to judge, to use discernment, to judge what's right and wrong. The same Jesus who said, judge not lest ye be judged, is the Jesus who said, use your judgment. And the left 
doesn't want to use their judgment and they don't want you to use your judgment. And when you point this out, when you point out the emperor has no clothes, you're the bad person. We're seeing this rise in secular progressive communities because they can't acknowledge that they failed. And in their inability to acknowledge that they failed, they've decided to define the failure as normal and the successful as failure. It is a rewriting of the norms of society to prevent having to acknowledge that progressivism is failing in society. You know, I was on a city council for a long time in Macon, and it, it, Macon at the time was the only partisan city council. Every other city council in Georgia, including Rome, Athens, Atlanta, Clarksville, Dalton, Jasper, Vidalia, Valdosta, Savannah, uh, Columbus, uh, Americus, you name it, they're all nonpartisan. Macon had a partisan city council. And I can't tell you what the partisan position is on trash collection. I can certainly tell you the conservative position is to privatize it. Let an, let an outside company do it. They can do a better job more efficiently. I can't tell you what the partisan position on homelessness is. What I can tell you is that it's not right to look at the homeless person and say, oh, that's that's just a good bum who cleans up. No, that's a homeless man who could use a warm meal and some shelter instead of a cardboard box. But you got to turn a blind eye to that and fix all your other social outrage. That is a failure of progressivism and a reminder that the secular religion will fail the people it claims to want to help. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone lines are open, 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. Have you heard about this audio of Mark Zuckerberg? The millennials at Facebook, much like the millennials at, at a lot of these tech companies, are going to be the undoing of these companies. Um, so Facebook has been known in the past to have these town halls where they they have meetings off the record with employees. And Google's been doing the same thing for a while. Well, at Google and Facebook, the, the younger employees have started bringing in cell phones and surreptitiously recording the town halls and then leaking them to the press to complain and stir up stuff within the company. I, I cannot believe that people want to bite the hand that feeds them. You know, just as an aside, um, when I was at CNN and when I was at Fox, uh, but particularly at CNN, if you had a problem with other contributors or other contributors had a problem with you, you knew not to air grievances publicly. In fact, one time... Um, one time someone leaked to media matters, uh, and very insulting stuff about me and about, uh, my friend Dana Lash. We were both CNN contributors at the time and management came down like a pile of boulders on everybody for doing that. It went to Fox and, and it wasn't really the same. There was a lot of infighting at Fox and, but they did a very good job, even with that infighting, of not really letting it air out, uh, publicly as over time, that's gotten worse. Uh, more and more you hear the, the squabbling behind the scenes at Fox, but it's not, not the sign of a, of a healthy organization when people are, are fighting in the press with each other and an organization. And we're seeing that at companies like Facebook and Google, where employees are now trying to undermine the company because they disagree with the company. And, and so they themselves think that they are somehow in charge of the company and can set company direction. A lot of people who don't know their place, uh, a, a lot of people whose parents gave them participation trophies and got these kids to think, and they're somehow in charge. So Zuckerberg is, is caught on this tape saying Elizabeth Warren would be bad for the company and, and he will fight anyone who wants to break up his company. 
I got to tell you, uh, I wouldn't have very much respect for the guy if he was willing to roll over. I mean, the government is coming for him. And you need to understand, why is the government coming for Facebook? It has nothing to do with your privacy. The government doesn't care about your privacy. For God's sakes, the government wants Apple to build a backdoor into your cell phone so they can see your text messages. The government doesn't care about your privacy. The government is upset with Facebook because Donald Trump won. In 2012, Barack Obama did exactly what Donald Trump did in 2016, and the media wrote glowing stories about how effectively they used Facebook data to turn out the vote for Barack Obama. And in 2016, Donald Trump outdid them and suddenly Facebook is bad because Donald Trump is bad and they're out to get them. They're out to break up Facebook. Why, why are you breaking up Facebook? I, I, listen, you don't have to use Facebook. You know, if you turned off Facebook tomorrow, you could still log in to websites. You could still use the internet. You don't, it's, you know, Facebook, I think is actually different from Google. Google, you know, we've got a bunch of partisan Google activists out there who have been on the record, willing to go on the record and say how they want to use the algorithm to shape the election. You've got Google employees who argue that if you don't have uh, various minority groups involved in shaping the algorithm, you're going to leave them out. But at the same time, they're perfectly willing and able to leave out conservatives. That I think is a problem. Facebook, you don't have to use. Google has a near monopoly in, in advertising online and in search online. Sure, you can use DuckDuckGo, but barely anybody does. It's, its searches aren't as compelling, but that's a problem. Facebook, though, it's not a big issue. It's just Donald Trump won. That's why they hate it. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. We got lots of local news we need to cover, including uh, bring everybody else who's just joining us from around the state uh, up to date on the special election in Georgia. Um, big deal. The um, the, the Sackerson uh, lost to Singleton in House District 71. Uh, David Ralston poured money in to beat Singleton. Singleton made Ralston the big issue, and uh, he won. Republicans around the state need to be on notice. Ralston is radioactive. He's costing Republicans victories. Uh, will they pay attention? We'll get more into that fetal heartbeat as well. Um, at the end of the last hour, Leslie, though, called from Macon. I wanted to go on and take Leslie's phone call instead of making him wait. Leslie from Macon, welcome. Good, good morning, Eric. Uh, glad to uh, talk to you. You used to live here in Macon. and I, we I still you. do, actually. Yeah. Oh, you do? Yep. Okay. In fact, I'm okay. broadcasting well, from Macon right now. So you saw the uh, uh, Telegraph uh, piece that they ran about the Ukraine business. Yes. Yeah, and I thought that was well written, but I thought you were a little shy about uh, asking the main question, and that is why was you know why was Hunter Biden ever appointed to that board? At the at at uh, you know what's the reason for that? So, and I okay. would have given yeah yeah I would have given his his salary you know three hundred thousand dollars a year for sitting on a board, and he's been on it for five years. I would have I would have mentioned that salary. Right. Yeah, yeah, and you know, so I've tried to on the radio program and then at my website, The Resurgent, but so I, I've got a column, for those of you outside of Macon who don't know, I've got a column every week in the Macon Telegraph on Sundays. I yeah, have good. precisely 580 words. That's all they give me. Uh-huh. Uh, don't, okay. don't have a, a word over that. And I really wanted to focus on the, the Joe Biden trip uh, over in, in March of 2016, which I now in my updated column coming out, uh, we'll point out he actually never even made that trip. He was making that up as well. Yeah. Um, but it is 
is relevant, and I've spent a lot of time on this program in the last week yeah. pointing out the Hunter Biden issue is a serious issue that even though the Democrats, they want to dismiss it, that they really can't. Because and you know well, you, you know the reason for that in the swamp you know in the swamp that's just business as usual well, it is. you know and, that. And, you know yeah. there's actually a great of all things in the New York Times today mm-hmm. Ross Douthat has a great column out today about you know the reason so many people are willing to excuse Donald Trump and behavior they might not have excused in the past is look at all the people including the Bidens who enrich themselves during their time mm-hmm. in office they're public servants yeah. making a hundred two hundred thousand dollars a year and they become multimillionaires while being in government so yeah like, I, yep. I agree yeah. with you stick although Leslie you'll you'll like this punchline so it turns out so I, I've been writing this column in the Macon Telegraph since 2013. And I don't get paid for it. I just every week. Oh, really? The I don't. I wondered about that. Well, well I'm sorry. Paid. So yeah. you know, well, they they told me they can't take my column this week on Hunter Biden because I'm not. Oh getting my paid goodness! By <laughs> they, they've got to pay me to take my column. And I'm like, I've been doing this since 2013 with no without pay, and now you're right. telling me you've got to give me money. I mean, I'll take the money, but I don't need the money. <laughs> what do you? How do you? Uh, how do you uh, interpret that? That's strange. What do you? Well, think? It, so it, there were rules changed by the Obama administration on contract work and employment you know, on employee work and the oh, way that you. you have to the under labor law thanks to the Obama administration now they essentially do have to pay you can't do free work for a company anymore they've got to pay you something or they can get Good in trouble it's, it, it's ridiculous well, it's driven up the cost of yeah. businesses that's why for example Leslie I can't have a an intern for my radio program anymore because we didn't have a budget for an intern we used to have college kids they'd come in they'd get college uh, yeah and just do for the experience, like right. the whole intern experience, exactly. right? The whole intern experience. And yeah. now we've got to pay them, so we don't have an intern. Well, you better not let the medical profession know that. Or I was a college professor. You better not let the college professors know they can't use those students anymore. Exactly. <laughs> that would be. Well, well, That'd even be then, rough, they're having to pay them. Well, Leslie, look, thanks very much for the phone call. It's good to hear somebody. Thanks, you know, great I, I'm to broadcasting talk to you right now for Macon. Keep up the good work. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. Uh, that's Leslie for making it. If you want to call in and be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425 is the phone number. Now, we got to talk about some other local. We'll get, so it, I, I'm trying intentionally, willfully, if you will, to avoid fixating on impeachment right now because we've been fixating on impeachment since last week and I don't think it is the I do not think impeachment is as big a story right now as the media wants you to believe and there's plenty of other stuff there we will get into it right now though I want to focus on the fetal heartbeat legislation which someone sent me the the Atlanta Journal-Constitution headline uh, that the AJC uh, is calling it a Judge Halt's anti-abortion law. It, it is, it, you know, they couldn't say Judge Halt's fetal heartbeat law. It's got to be anti-abortion, which implies something. in It's an editorializing in their headline. And I think it's fair, a, a, a fair to comment to say they're editorializing in their, in their, um, in their headline not the fetal heartbeat law, the anti-abortion law. Frankly, I think we ought to own it. Yes, uh, we are against abortion. We are against murdering children. And that's what it is, whether you whether you want to believe it or not. I mean, come on. Do, do, do you know how an abortion is performed? It's absolutely, absolutely. Um, there, there's, there's a problem there. But the judge has halted the fetal heartbeat 
legislation. And I got to tell you, I've got several friends of mine in the conservative movement who are blowing up this judge as an activist judge. I don't fault the judge who by all accounts from people who know him is a, is a fairly conservative guy who would have loved to have not halted the law. Here's the problem. District court judges, if you're a district court, unless you're an activist progressive judge, district court judges are bound by higher court opinion. And based on higher court opinion, everyone knew, even if they didn't want to admit it, everyone knew going into this, this judge had to issue an injunction against the law while there was a hearing. There is Supreme Court precedent on this, and a federal district judge has no authority to overrule the Supreme Court, whether you want to believe it or not. I'm not going to attack the judge on this because the judge couldn't do otherwise. He followed the law. And what we should want are judges who follow the law. We should not want judges who are activists. And it would be an activist court if the judge refused to issue the injunction. Now, don't hate me for saying it. That's just the reality. I want a conservative judge who's going to follow the law. The problem is the law, the existing case law from the Supreme Court. The problem's not the judge. And we hopefully now have a Supreme Court majority. In fact, they should be taking an abortion case this year where they roll some of this back so judges have a little more discretion to not have to issue these injunctions. But until they do, I think you want a federal district court that's going to uphold what the Supreme Court case law is and what the law is. But here's the dirty little secret we might as well discuss here. A lot of Republicans in the state legislature voted for the fetal heartbeat legislation knowing the judge would stop it. The fact of the matter is Republican elected officials tend to not be as pro-life as they claim. They know they have to be pro-life to get elected, but deep down they're not really pro-life. And there are a number of Republicans in the legislature, I think, who supported this law knowing no judge was ever going to let it go through into effect. So they could take the win and be the hero while knowing that a judge would protect them from ever having to deal with the consequences of a law they didn't really want. And that's just the truth. I've got a friend of mine who now works for the Trump administration, a very high-ranking Trump official, who used to be deeply embedded within the pro-life movement. And she told me one time that she would far rather go meet with a radical progressive member of Congress who has Planned Parenthood material in their office than with most of the pro-life Republicans in Congress. The reason is because she knew going in to the progressive Democrats' office that they disagreed on this issue. And so they could have an issue understanding that they come from different worldviews, that they're never going to agree on this issue, and yet they may be able to find common ground on funding women's health, things like that. But when you went into a Republican member of Congress's office who was pro-life, a lot of times you would encounter someone who just wanted to head pat pro-lifers, give them the spiel, but wasn't really pro-life. And you could tell from their actions and the way they talk, they're just going through the motions with this person. They, they treat them with contempt. They look down on them. We had a, an elected Republican in the U.S. Congress here in Georgia who multiple people told me would go to the Capitol Hill Club with his buddies 
in 2010, 2011, and absolutely ridicule the Tea Party activists who had come into his office. And he would say all the good things. He would say all, all the appropriate things. He, he would pat him on the back and, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. We're going to cut government. And then would go out drinking with his buddies at night, absolutely ridiculing the Hicks and Rubes who came to his office. And many of the Republicans in Congress are like that. They are deeply contemptuous of their base. In a way, to some degree, this is lessened over time. There's been so much rollover, and many of the people who have gotten elected in the last few years have risen up through the Tea Party movement in Congress, and so they're true believers. The same thing with the left. A lot of the leftists have never been comfortable with the mainstream Democrats coming to their office. These Democrats have always been far more radical, and they are far more comfortable now with the leftward drift of the party. Now, there are some who aren't. There are some who are deeply troubled by it, and just like these Republicans, go through the motions of screaming about progressivism, rah, 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 let's expand communism nationwide, and they're really actually deeply fearful of it. But you have this with Republicans, and you have it with Republican legislators in the Georgia legislature. Many of them did not want the fetal heartbeat legislation to pass. And they only voted for it because they knew a federal judge would stop it. If you don't believe me, look at the school choice legislation. There is a dramatic overlap in support for pro-life measures and school choice because pro-lifers, unlike what the left says, really do believe that that while life begins at conception, the government must pass pro-life policies to elevate people into better existence and out of poverty over time. The best way to elevate someone over out of poverty is to give them a good education. And you have Republicans who believe school choice is one of the ways to do that. Give them school choice, allow them to go to a school of their choice, and they will get a good education, and they'll thrive. You have Republican members of our state legislature who blocked school choice legislation this past year. And the reason they opposed it and supported fetal heartbeat is because they knew there would be no judge to stop school choice. They had to make that choice. They had to stop it. With fetal heartbeat, they knew there was going to be a judge to block it. But with this, they knew they had to do it. You know, that's one of the reasons I, I keep hearing it, and I no one from the governor's office has talked to me about this, but I, I have heard repeatedly that one reason the governor does not want to appoint Jeff Duncan to the Senate is because Butch Miller would become the lieutenant governor. And people in the governor's office view him as an obstacle to school reform. They don't want him to have lieutenant governor power. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not, but I've heard it from enough members of the Senate to make me think there's something to it. But he is the ranking Republican, the president pro tem of the Senate, and he is an obstacle by all accounts to school choice. David Ralston, the Speaker of the House, is an obstacle to school choice. They do not want poor kids coming to private schools. You know, Democrats honestly don't either. Democrats talk a good game, uh, but Democrats don't want poor kids in their rich private schools. My kids go to a private school that's not rich, and they're perfectly happy to have poor kids come in. They've got a great demographic, racial mix. They give lots of scholarships so that poor kids from uh, the community can come into the school and get a good classical Christian education. They learn catechism. They, they don't learn Bible verses. They learn Bible chapters. My kids got to memorize chapters of the Bible and catechism questions. And all of them do. It's a great education. And, and they believe, you know, seek the welfare of the city in which you live. There you'll find your welfare. They are seeking the welfare of, of the poor kids in the community, bringing as many of them in as they can. 
on scholarships. But you got a bunch of rich white Republicans in the state legislature. They, they don't want the poor kids going to their private schools, and they scuttle school choice every time. They do not want to give parents the option of improving their kids' education, and they know they've got to stand up for it because no judge will block it. But they could rely on a judge to block school choice. They could rely on a judge to block the fetal heartbeat legislation so they could vote for it. They could say, oh, I love the babies, and I love Jesus, and I'm pro-life, and they're not really. They could lie to your face. And vote for that law knowing a judge would stop it. And a judge had to stop it. The judge had no choice. The judge is not the bad guy here. The judge, if anything, showed himself to be willing to adhere to the law. He wasn't a progressive radical. Now, a progressive radical would have thrown it out and declared it's unconstitutional then and there. He didn't do that. He's enjoined it. He'll have to have a trial on it. And maybe, who knows, he'll, he'll have the hearing and decide, you know what, we can do this. But under Supreme Court precedent, he couldn't let it go into effect. He had to enjoin it. And I'm okay with that. Everyone knew that was going to happen. Those who say otherwise are lying to you. They all knew it was going to happen. But we need to be clear here. I actually want this law to go into effect. And I think Ed Stetzler did his homework to take a plausible argument based on Roe and say, we're treating the entire person here. And under Roe, if you treat the fetus as a human being through everything, through tax law, through criminal law, through everything else, then you're treating that as a human, and as a human, you can protect that human's life. That's, that argument is founded in Roe, but amplified in Casey, and that's what we did. That's why this law should be constitutional. But because of what it does, the judge had to enjoin it and have the hearing on it, and I think at the hearing, maybe they will. I don't know. The odds are it'll have to go on appeal. But let's just be real clear here. Let, let's not be fools. Let, let, let's not act surprised. There are Republicans in our legislature who voted for this law knowing the judge would stop it because they don't really want it to go into effect. If Roe v. Wade were overturned tomorrow, you would have a much harder time passing this law through Georgia's legislature with the exact same legislature we have. And that's the sad reality. I would just like to note something for the record. Um, I think that the impeachable act of the president is congratulating the Chai Coms on their 70th anniversary. No American president should ever congratulate the Chinese. Now, it's not really impeachable. I, I, I kid, I kid. You know, Rush was talking about me yesterday. We've had people call into this program and my other program who are Republicans. Two of them I know for certain were the president supporters in 2016. They, you know, you can always have people troll, but these two I, I know were presidential supporters in 2016. And they're all calling in. They're saying the same thing. I'm, I'm tired of this, and I wonder if it would be best if the president went away. I'm, I'm wondering if, if we should just move on to Pence. They're never going to let him go. For the sake of him and the country, let's just get, get over it. Let's move on. I played this audio in the first hour. I, I'm, I'm going to play it again now. This is a compilation of the media from 2017, January 2017, until January of 2019. And I send this out to conservatives who are battle-weary. And I understand that you're battle-weary. I understand. It frustrates me, too. It seems like nonstop. And the president does stuff. He gets on social media. He makes things worse. He does. He does. Let's just acknowledge it. But also we need to acknowledge that what we're what you're experiencing right now is media fatigue, not so much scandal fatigue. The media does this with every Republican. 
Breaking news. A bombshell. Today is a turning point. Today was historically bad for President Trump. Today was a turning point. A turning point. We're at a turning point here. The beginning of the end for the Trump presidency. We have another bombshell. Mike Pence might have to assume the office of the presidency. Rumblings of the word impeachment. Breaking news. Another bombshell out of the White House. I believe this is the beginning of the end. I do too. It's really the beginning of the end. He may be feeling the walls closing in on him. All the walls closing in on him. The walls closing in on him. Breaking news, a new bombshell. One astrologer says this means the beginning of the end for President Donald Trump. Trump will resign. Trump is going to resign. Is this the tipping point? I know we've said it over and over. You think this is a tipping point? And over and over. This is a tipping point. And over and over. Breaking news, President Trump off the rails. It was the beginning of the end today. The beginning of the end. Breaking news tonight, new bombshell. This is the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The walls are closing in. The walls closing in. The walls closing in. Breaking overnight bombshell. This is a very dramatic day and I think it might be near a tipping point. Do you think this is a tipping point? December 1st, 2017, you can mark it down. This is the day that everything changed. The beginning of the end. Beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. We begin tonight with a bombshell. Donald Trump is in a lot of trouble. Trump is in trouble. The president will resign. Another hour, another bombshell. This is a tipping point. Trump's going down. This president could be impeached. Resignation. Resignation. I don't think this president is going to serve out his term. Mr. Trump will not serve out his term. He will not serve out his term. No way. Know how. Breaking news. Absolute bombshell. Donald Trump is not. He's done. And it's over. It's over. The walls closing in. The walls closing in. This is going to be the Achilles Hill. Breaking news tonight. I expect Trump to depart. This week will be the watershed week. Trump is in big trouble. Trump's in a lot of trouble. It's a sign of a terrified old man who feels the walls closing in. The walls are increasingly closing in on him. Tonight, the walls are closing in. Today changed everything. This is the beginning of the end. Today, the biggest tipping point for the Trump administration. Historic day, the bombshells. He's underwater. He feels the walls closing in. Turning point. We may be at a tipping point. It's the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. Another bombshell. 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 We'll be back with more Georgia news. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia, around the world on Facebook Live right now. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. John Ossoff here in Georgia raised $800,000 in three weeks in his run against David Perdue. $800,000. Teresa Tomlinson came in second with 500,000 raised, but there's a catch. And we shouldn't downplay the catch in his fundraising and Ossoff's fundraising. Ossoff transferred $500,000 into his account. So his his $800,000 in 3 weeks is still impressive. It's still an impressive 300,000. But it's eight hundred thousand because he had money sitting in his other account. Remember, he ran in the special election against Karen Handel and clearly left money on the table. I wonder if he spent that five hundred thousand dollars. Could he have won? It came close, but he didn't win. And now he wants to run for the Senate. And in running for the Senate, he um well wants to have a big splash. By the way, uh, Sarah Riggs Amico uh, got a big union endorsement, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 613. 
5,500 workers contributed $5,000 to Sarah Riggs Amico's campaign. She's going to try to to run. Now, She she's going to try to raise as much money as she can. And she wants to be, this is interesting. Sarah Riggs Amico ran as the lieutenant governor nominee. You know, she's in a lawsuit right now to overturn Jeff Duncan's election. She claimed there was a machine undercounting, it was a problem, and and there should be a new election. And so while she's suing to, to overturn Jeff Duncan's election, she's running for the Senate, she raised $710,000, but they won't say how much of it came from her. Very interesting. We'll find out soon. I, I, I'm guessing that's it. So uh, Teresa Tomlinson had $500,000. we will see how much she's raised altogether, what, what her stockpile is. But... Sarah Riggs Amico wants to be the blue collar champion. She claims it was Donald Trump who caused her business to go to go into bankruptcy. It was actually a pension issue. And she wants to be the candidate of union blue collar workers. Teresa Tomlinson wants to be so Ted Terry wants to be the progressive. He is super environmentalist, Ted Terry, super environmentalist, um, super liberal, uh, recreational marijuana supporter, um, $15 an hour minimum wage supporter, you name it, wants to be the progressive, hyper progressive. Teresa Tomlinson, really, she's claiming she wants to be the progressive in the race, but really she's the one who's not scaring businesses. And behind the publicly, she's like, oh, I'm I'm more progressive than Ted. And behind the scenes, she's like, wink, wink, nod, nod, Chamber of Commerce. I'm actually with you. I used to be a Republican. Sarah Riggs Amico used to be a Republican. She was a Romney supporter in 2012. And the Democrats are tearing her up on that. But she's also a blue collar uh, union supporter. She Her company was a trucking company. Uh, she's got a lot of union support. And, and then there's John Ossoff. What what segment does John Ossoff? I guess John Ossoff, um, he fills the, the good white liberal who isn't super radical. Because Ted Terry's radicalism is going to turn some people off. So John Ossoff can get the... The um, Buckhead liberals who, hey, we're not communists, but we, we, you know, we're hip with the children these days. Let's go with John Ossoff. I guess that's his, that's his angle, I guess. We'll see how he, how he lines up. Um, It's going to be interesting still to watch. Um, I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I do want to do this. I, I want to go on to Neil's phone call here because I was going to get into this. Neil, I, I'm going to go on to you next. I'm going to shut up about what I was going to talk about. And I'd rather talk about what you want to talk about. Well, good morning, Eric. I, uh, I grew up uh, listening to, to, uh, the media beat up Reagan, beat up the wimp. And then I got really tired of media beating up George Bush. And they really damaged Bush, too. And we cannot let them take out Trump, period. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting you say this because, again, I've had people call this program and my other one, Neil, who say they're just the media is going to do everything they can to destroy Trump. Trump makes it too easy for him. Maybe he needs to stand aside, find someone who's a little more skilled in in the art of the Washington knife fight. And, you know, I I put that up on Twitter that I'm encountering these Republicans who think that that, uh, you know, a a Pence Haley ticket wouldn't be so bad. Maybe maybe we need someone else. But I, I don't think we're there. Maybe the time will come. 
But right now, polls show that the president has solidified Republican support and the president has maintained his support in Congress among Republicans. So I'm not sure that it's time to give up. You you know, the Wall Street Journal has a story out today that the the president that President Nixon did not get toppled until he began losing Republican members of Congress. And thus far, the president has not lost members of Congress. Now, all, all of that being said. I do want to play this audio from CNN's John Berman um, on on this morning about the continuing drip, drip, drip. So are you ready? Every time we blink, there are major developments in the impeachment investigation of the president. Remember, the paramount question is, did the president pressure a foreign leader to investigate a political opponent? And we've seen evidence of that in black and white. Everything else is just context. To that end, while you were blinking, Rudy Giuliani has been subpoenaed for all documents related to his admitted role in pressuring the Ukrainians for dirt on Joe Biden. It remains unclear whether the president's personal attorney will comply. CNN has learned that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was on the July 25th phone call where President Trump leaned on the Ukrainian president. Pompeo was less than fulsome when asked about this publicly, and now this could trigger a new subpoena for his testimony. And a source tells CNN that President Trump recently pressed Australia's prime minister to help Attorney General Bill Barr with his investigation of the origins of Mueller's Russia probe. There's new reporting on the Attorney General's expansive and personal role in pushing questions about the Russia investigation. Drip, drip, drip. Y'all, I continue to think this is coordinated, and Democrats are really blasting me for saying it. Uh, Cynthia Tucker, who was at the AJC for a while and now teaches at University of Georgia, did the whole, I I just thought you were a respectable person. I can't believe you'd say this. I, I don't know why Democrats are so defensive about pointing out that there's coordination going on. If you're the whistleblower, you drop everything. You just, you dump it all out. But that's not what's happening here. We first have rumors in the press about a phone call with Ukraine's president. We then have suggestion there's a transcript. The transcript comes out and there's suggestion there's a whistleblower complaint. And the media, we don't know that it's actually related to this, but wink, wink, nod, nod. Yes, we know it is. And then the whistleblower comes out and the media, aha, look at this paragraph. There are other transcripts. And... Then we know that there's drip, drip, drip. There's the Mohammed bin Saud, um, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia transcript. And then we know there's a Vladimir Putin transcript. And then we know there's an Australia transcript. Now we know that uh, Mike Pompeo was on the tran- was on the phone call and he denied he was on the phone call. This is clearly coordinated. This is what Andrew Breitbart used to I, And I said this yesterday. This is what Andrew Breitbart used to do. It's, it's a good skill of investigative journalism you throw something out there and you wait for the other side to deny it and then you say aha i've got the facts to contradict you so the white house puts out the transcript and says yes the the president had this phone call and then the whistleblower complaint comes out and says hey there's actually other uh transcripts in there well what other transcripts are in there and then someone leaks about the saudi arabian one then somebody leaks the russian one then somebody leaks the australian one and then they go full circle back into the original one they've gone out they put a camera in mike pompeo's face and said were you on the phone call and he says no and now they've come out and said he was on the phone call we they knew that all along they knew that all along it's all a setup 
I understand there are Republicans tired and weary. And you know what? I'm tired and weary. But again, I, I played that audio twice. Now I don't need to play it a third time. The, Dem- the media wants you to do that. As, as, as Neil pointed out, you know, when Reagan was president, I was, I mean, I was little. But I, I, I'm a student of history, and they kept trotting out scandal after scandal after scandal. When George H.W. Bush was president, scandal after scandal after scandal. When Bill Clinton was president, suddenly he was scandal-free until the supposedly manufactured Whitewater scandal. And that was all a Republican hit job. George W. Bush becomes president, scandal, scandal, scandal. Barack Obama becomes president, and miraculous, miracle of miracles, there was no scandal. I mean, people do forget that the Clinton impeachment stuff, the media was insistent there was no scandal until Republicans showed them, yes, actually there was. They denied it. And with Barack Obama, there were plenty of scandals. I mean, the Fast and Furious operation, for God's sakes. The IRS targeting Tea Party conservatives. There were plenty of scandals. The Iran situation, admitting they lied to the media to get this thing through. That was a scandal. But the media would have you believe there were no scandals. You cannot believe the media on Donald Trump if they're not willing to be honest about the president, about President Obama. And, and you know, that's part of what gets me here. I was actually thinking about this this morning. I've got a lot of friends of mine in the media who passionately hate Donald Trump. And they occasionally reach out to me and say, well, how can you support this guy? He's destroying our democracy. Echoing Elizabeth Warren. Let me play this audio from Elizabeth Warren. Do you believe that our democracy is at risk? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. But understand, again, Mark, our democracy has been at risk for a long time now. Because when we have an America that works better and better for the rich, why do you think that's so? It's because they have figured out how to control the levers of power. Think about it this way. Who do you think's making the big campaign contributions? Who's hiring the armies of lobbyists and lawyers, the bought and paid for experts, funding the think tanks, getting the PR firms out there? And why? So they can just keep moving those decisions. There are a lot of people in the media who I know, I respect, I'm friends with them, but they've prided themselves on being objective and and they've lost their ever-living mind because of Donald Trump. And they cannot believe, how could you go from opposing him to supporting him? I can understand people who went from opposing him to opposing him even more. How can you go to liking him? So I don't necessarily like the president. We get along. I don't really care for him, uh, his, his morals. He's, you know, you know the, the president's actually a deeply funny person. He's not a bad guy. We may disagree on a lot of stuff. I certainly disagree with him on some of his policies like tariffs and whatnot. Oh, boy. I, I'm just, I'm not willing to be browbeaten by people in the media who could never recognize a scandal in the Obama administration and took eight years off from the news, who now suddenly think there's a scandal every day. I'm just not willing to do it. The media gave a pass to everything Barack Obama did. Like, for example, did you know that that, uh, Newsweek is running a daily counter on how many times Donald Trump plays golf? Now, you know, I took the position in the Obama administration that we should want him to play as much golf as possible. We should want him to play as much golf as possible because if he wasn't in the White House governing, we were all safe. 
there were a lot of conservatives like, oh, he's wasting taxpayer dollars. And it is, it is absolutely hypocritical for Republicans to give Donald Trump a pass on the amount of golf he plays when they thought it was a big deal when Barack Obama played golf. But it's really damn hypocritical for the media to have defended Donald or Barack Obama that entire time. And they're like, look at how much golf he's playing. He's not doing the job. Role reversal. I'm just not willing to be browbeaten by a lot of people in the media, some of whom I respect. Say, now, how can, how can you support this guy? Look at him. Look at what he's doing to a democracy when they're not even willing to recognize that Barack Obama did anything wrong. If anything, all Donald Trump is doing is he's taking precedence from the Obama administration and amplifying them. But, you know, here's the dirty little secret. And this is the other reason I can't take a lot of this seriously. And it drives progressives crazy when I point this out. The Trump administration really isn't divergent from a typical presidential administration. You may not like the antics, you may not like the behavior, but the policies that are coming out, the regulations that are coming out, the things that the White House is doing, they're really not real different. If the exact same things were happening in this administration and it wasn't Donald Trump, the media would not be complaining as much. They just don't like Donald Trump. They don't like that Donald Trump has gone after them relentlessly. The president picked a fight with the media. The media is super vain, and the media can't recognize their own hypocrisy. And I've got no use for a media that can't recognize their own hypocrisy in a lot of this stuff. The time may come. I mean, here's the thing. I, I genuinely believe this is all coordinated, but I also really believe they could find something on President Trump. He has time and time again shown himself to ignore the advisors giving him good advice. And he's listened to idiots like Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani could get this president impeached. And I will tell you, it is my bright line. If the president withheld that Ukrainian money to try to force them to investigate Joe Biden, I think that's impeachable. And I keep saying this and putting myself out there and expect you to hold me to it. And y'all are going to get pissed with me if it comes out that that's true. Because I'm going to say, you know what? That violated the separation of powers. But we're not there, are we? We are absolutely fundamentally not there. And so there's nothing impeachable right now. And what I find most telling and most striking is that all of the people who are demanding the president be impeached are the people who called him illegitimate to begin with. No one's changed their mind. It's just they've gotten really loud right now. That's all that's happened. No one's changed their mind. It's just the media is amplifying the voices of the people who never liked the president to begin with. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I, I, I got I to circle back to, wait, where's, oh, ooh, I can't use that word. Um, <laughs> um, yes, snake bites on the rise in the state of Georgia. We talked about this a little bit the other week. Snake bites are on the rise as it's gotten hotter. Uh, snakes are out. They're 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 cold blooded creatures. They're they're riled up. But here's the thing: I did not know. It is illegal in the state of Georgia to kill a non venomous snake. The misdemeanor offense is punishable by a year in jail and a thousand dollar fine. There are only six venomous snakes in Georgia: the copperhead, the cottonmouth, the rattlesnake, the eastern diamondback, and the timber rattlesnake, the pygmy rattlesnake, and the eastern coral snake. So the odds are the snake you see is non-venomous. You're also not allowed to keep 
non-venomous snakes as pets. Corn snakes, garter snakes, you're not allowed to keep them. State law does allow you to keep venomous snakes, however. Now, is that not hilarious? <laughs> you can keep the rattlesnake as your pet. You can't keep the garter snake as your pet. This all comes up. This was a related link from the story. In South Georgia, they're finding the, these giant um, Argentine lizards running about. The, 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 what are the, 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 the tegu lizards from Argentina? Um, they're apparently showing up on trail cams in South South Georgia. They're like uh, baby kimono dragons, except they are black and white. Uh, they will attack you um, if you're not careful defending themselves. They're otherwise, they try to stay away from humans, but they're showing up down there and they, they lay a bunch of eggs and they can take over if you're not careful. And the state is trying to exterminate them as best they can. So if you see them, kill them, uh, these giant black and white lizards in South Georgia. If you're in Toombs County and Tattnall County where they've been spotted, kill them. Kill them. You're allowed to kill these things. Like the coyotes. Shoot the coyotes. We've got coyotes in our neighborhood now. And I swear, my, my wife wants me to, to keep a rifle at the door so we can shoot them. We've seen them at night. You know, we had a neighbor whose dog was lured off by the coyotes, and, and they saw it happening, and they couldn't stop it, the, the poor thing. Um, so what happened was the dogs outside, the neighbors take, led the dog out to go use the bathroom and a coyote pops up and they can see it as it's happening and they run to try to get the dog. But the, the dog chases the coyote who acts like he wants to play. The dog chases the coyote back to the pack and the coyote as well. The, the dog did not survive. Sad. Um, we're, we're seeing more and more coyotes in the state that have also been, bred with wolves apparently from what the AJC reported a while back and they're larger and more aggressive we can man it is creepy at night you know we've had panthers we had a panther come through our neighborhood a couple of years ago and then I guess a, maybe a year ago two years ago was outside at night and could hear a woman screaming I was talking to a, a sheriff deputy there's a sheriff's deputy um out in our cul-de-sac late at night and uh, he says that that's that panther come back apparently panthers make a big circle in every few years wind up in the same same area um but we're having the coyotes and it is really freaking creepy to hear the coyotes uh chattering with each other at night in the woods behind our house we often see deer and the deer will disappear for weeks on end and we know the coyotes are coming in when the deer have disappeared it's just Ah, the whole thing is creepy. The whole thing is creepy. But the, now we've got these giant lizards in Georgia to worry about. The Tegus. Why do we have them? They haven't migrated up from Argentina. Uh, what's happening is idiots in South Georgia have them as pets. They get too big and they throw them off in the woods. It's like the pythons in South Florida. That's how the pythons got there. Idiots dropping them off in the woods because they didn't want to keep them as pets because they got too big. People are stupid. People are stupid. Now, when we come back, we got to shift gears. Uh, the president wants to scratch the itch on re-examining 2016. We should let him. I'll tell you why. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. Want to be a part of the program? You can by calling 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. Keep in mind as well, this is the important one. If you want a recipe of the week, I haven't decided which one it's going to be yet. Uh, but a recipe will be coming out uh, in about an hour and a half by email. If you want to be on the email list to get the recipe, it's for free. There's no obligation. You don't get ads, anything like that. Um, you don't get spam. You just get a recipe every week. Text RECIPE 
to 33777. The phone number is 33777. Text the word recipe to that phone number, and you'll get the recipe when it comes out. I want to talk about William Barr and Mike Pompeo. It's very interesting. If you watch, it's very organized. You can tell it's organized. There is a deliberate effort by the Democrats to drag William Barr and Mike Pompeo into the impeachment. Um, they're saying Pompeo lied to reporters that he actually was on the Ukraine phone call. Uh, the inspector general has now rushed to Congress to talk to them about it behind closed doors. We don't know why the media is playing this up as if the inspector general of the state department is going to turn tables on him. Um, and of course, William Barr, they're, they're desperately trying to drag in William Barr. Here, here's the problem with this. William Barr is actually a grown up. William Barr is a grown-up in the room. William Barr was George H.W. Bush's attorney general. He is now Donald Trump's attorney general and has pointed out to the Democrats that they're behaving like children and they deeply resent it. He is articulate. He is competent. He is essentially Donald Rumsfeld uh, for law enforcement. You, You watch his testimony before Congress. It very much reminds me of Donald uh, Rumsfeld testifying before Congress where he just wasn't having any of the crazy antics that the Democrats wanted to try. Just wasn't having it. And, well, now there's this situation. I think that the Democrats, they want to do this Largely because they're trying to lure independent voters towards impeachment. And if they can portray the entire administration as corrupt, they can do that. But there's something else going on here as well. I want to play this audio from Laura Ingram last night on Fox because she makes a point we need to spend a few minutes talking about. Which brings us to the present. The Democrats know the Department of Justice is actively investigating the deep state's machinations in 2016 and the role played by the foreign actors we've just told you about. They will do anything to destroy not only the president, but Attorney General Bill Barr and the State Department on the brink of uncovering their election tampering. Yeah, you know, so here's the thing. I I try not to buy into conspiracy theories, and this is just my temperament, and I apologize that this... I certainly know this can aggravate conservatives, but when I see everybody going in this direction, I tend to go in that direction because I think people are stupid and I think people are, are herd driven and uh, where there's big buzz, everybody runs in that direction. And oftentimes that's not the direction you want to go. And when I see a bunch of conservatives uh, raising conspiracy theories or I see a bunch of progressives raising conspiracy theories, I tend to think, nah, I mean, it's like the form. When conservatives came out pounding their fists, look, 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 the forum, the forum, the forum, the forum was changed. It was changed. The inspector general was new and he changed it. There's a conspiracy theory. So the whistleblower can do secondhand information and he used to not be able to do secondhand information. And they changed the form in the last month so the whistleblower could file the form. No, turns out the whistleblower filed the form that's been in effect since May of 2018. I know me telling you there are some people who will never believe it. The inspector general is respected by guys like Doug Collins here in Georgia, respected by Kevin McCarthy, the the Republican leader in the House, respected by Mitch McConnell, respected by Ted Cruz. And he came out and he said, no, the form the whistleblower used is the form we were using in May of 2018 before I even got in this job. And it's always allowed secondhand information. You just have to check a box on it. There is a new form. 
And the new form says you got to specify if your secondhand information is from your agency or out of your agency, but you've always been allowed to have secondhand information. And by the way, the whistleblower had firsthand information too. Now, if you're not willing to accept the inspector general's word on that, I can't help you. You know, there, there is a real problem we have in this country. It is a problem that transcends party where no one is willing to accept truth. Everybody's working an angle. I tell you, the sky is blue. Well, no, not really. Actually, it's the refracted rays of the sun coming through, and it's casting a blue hue on the sky, and it's not really. Okay, yeah, in common vernacular, it's blue. Well, no, actually, I don't really think it's blue. Your eyes may see it as blue, but my eyes see it as something. Y'all, particularly if you're a Christian, there is real truth in the world, and we need to be in pursuit of the truth. This whole idea of my truth and your truth is crap. There, they, no, there is actual real truth in the world. And I don't think it's helpful for conservatives to get wrapped in conspiracy theories that make themselves believe they're victims. Conservatism is anti-victimology. And yet so many conservatives have decided they're the victims, the president's the victim, everybody's a victim. Oh, woe is me, woe is me. I don't think it's helpful. I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, I, I, and I tend to think when people are grabbing towards conspiracy theories, there's really no there there. Um, the reason I don't think there are conspiracy theories are because more often than not, it is people trying to latch on to someone to blame for something they've done to themselves, and they can't accept blame for what they've done for themselves, so they got to find someone else, and that involves a conspiracy theory. I also don't believe in conspiracy theories because I don't think people can keep secrets. People are stupid. They can't keep secrets. That being said... All of that said, the president is convinced that there's more to the Russia allegations from 2016 than has been known. The president is convinced the Democrats worked with an outside uh, operation called Fusion GPS, which we know they did, by the way. And we know Fusion GPS, they're partisan hacks. They specialize in opposition dirt, and they've got a bunch of people they've hired from the mainstream media, including Neil King from the Wall Street Journal, and they use their existing media relations to spread stories. And we know that uh, Natalia Vizilneskaya, the Russian who was meeting with the Trump family in, in Trump Tower, she met with Fusion GPS. We know these things. We know they fed stories to the media. We know the media relied on Fusion GPS for opposition research, for dirt. In the same way against Marco Rubio, they relied on American Bridge, that David Brock group. They, remember the stupid parking ticket story about Marco Rubio's wife getting parking tickets? That was a Media Matters uh, American Bridge story, opposition research. We, we know the media thrives on this stuff. We know they have ties to left-wing groups that feed them information. We know it. The president is convinced, based on some pundits on Fox News, that all of this worked against him and that the Russia hacking story and the, the working with the Russians narrative all came from Democrats, that it was a malicious opposition hit against him. It wasn't him working with the Russians against Hillary Clinton. It was Hillary Clinton and the Democrats constructing this story to try to blame Donald Trump for her loss and hurt Donald Trump. And he wants answers. And what's wrong with him trying to get answers? If there's no there there, what's the problem with him asking the Australians to help the Attorney General find out what happened in 2016? The Attorney General, William Barr, is a grown-up. 
The Attorney General, William Barr, is one of the few adults in the room. And the media screaming about this makes me suggest there's a there there. They can't just look at this and say, okay, this is 70-year-old Donald Trump. He's heard some geriatric conspiracy theorist on Fox News out of this. Let him look into it and move on. There's no, there's no there there. The media is operating like there's a there there. The media is operating like William Barr may actually undermine a media narrative from 2016. I don't think so. I don't think there's a there there. I don't think that William Barr will find wrongdoing by the Democrats and press working in concert with the Russians or the Ukrainians to try to undermine Donald Trump in 2016. But I don't have a problem looking into it. If anything, it will expose the hucksters, fraudsters, conspiracy theorists, and charlatans on the right as being liars. And that's a good thing. The other is more troubling, though, is it not? That the media is opposed to this because they're afraid that William Barr will find something. They're running stories at the Daily Beast that William Barr heard the audio of someone in Italy who's in some sort of protective custody there, uh, who claims to to be the origin of the uh, Russia story that he flew over there, that Mike Pompeo is also flying over there. See, this that, that seems really weird that they're trying to draw William Barr and Mike Pompeo into conspiracy theory land and impeachment land and discredit them in impeachment when they're saying, oh, they're going over there to hear this. What are they afraid of? Y'all, I don't buy into conspiracy theory stuff, but I'm starting to think maybe there's a there there. I'm starting to think maybe there is something going on. Because I'm, I'm hearing the Democrats scream, what is the harm of asking the Australian Prime Minister to work with William Barr to find out what happened? Rich Lowry, I, I played this yesterday, well, worth listening to one more time. He makes this point. But this, this is different in kind. The U.S. government asks foreign countries to cooperate with our duly constituted investigations all the time. The Justice Department is looking into how the bogus 2016 story started. <laughs> I know everyone on the set maybe wants to move on from that and get on to Ukraine, but that's a legitimate interest, and there's nothing wrong with the President of the United States asking a foreign government to cooperate with the Attorney General. And there's nothing, wrong with, the, in your mind, there's nothing wrong with the Attorney General saying, I want you to call the Prime Minister of Australia, and I want you to press him on this. That's nothing kosher. wrong at all. Just, okay. sir, if you could please uh, cooperate with my Attorney General. There's nothing Rich is right on this. And by the way, how is it undermining the election when this is the past election? How is it undermining the 2020 election to get the to ask the Australian prime minister to work with the attorney general to figure out what actually happened in 2016? Listen, the president of the United States, thanks in large part to the media, really believes that the intelligence community has been working against him. He really doesn't trust the intelligence community. The whistleblower amplifies that. All of this amplifies to it. It makes it sound like someone's out to get the president and he wants answers. He hears stuff said on Fox News. The rest of the media says isn't true. But then the rest of the media oftentimes paints with a very broad brush to excuse everything on the left and amplify everything on the right. There is no trust there. There is no trust. And if you understand anything about the Trump administration, you need to understand that both sides are making decisions based on willfully mistrusting the other side.
That's the reality. Neither side trusts the other. And I don't really blame the president for not trusting the media. The media clearly hates him. The media has clearly been on an anti-Trump narrative since he be- before he became the nominee. It's really sad to see this divorce between the president and the media because it really is a messy, messy divorce. The president and the media loved each other. They were convenient and useful for each other. And then the president came down the, the, the escalator, announced he was running for president, and the media turned on him. What do you mean you're running as a Republican, Donald? You're one of us. I don't think the president and William Barr will find anything in their investigation. But I don't have a problem with them looking. And I think we should all recognize real red flags going up when the media is so adamantly opposed to the president of the United States doing this. That suggests they're hiding something. And I think that incentivizes the president to want to go digging. If they would just let it alone, let the president look. They say there's no there there. What are they scared of? Why are they screaming so much? Joe Biden is going to have to report his fundraising numbers very soon. And the president and uh, his committee just came out with a whopping $125 million third quarter haul. Yeah. What do you make of that? I think that's a lot of money, Jesse. $125 million. That was on The Five last night on Fox News. $125 million. Barack Obama, during the same quarter, only raised $70 million. Uh, the president has been able to fire up his base. The Democrats have actually been remarkably helpful for the president's fundraising efforts. This impeachment effort has has caused the president to see a massive cash haul. Um, Going to be very, very interesting to see how this plays out moving forward. Um, and, you know, the Democrats are fighting each other, spending massive resources in this battle. Cory Booker looks like he's almost out of cash and he's going to have to drop out. Beto O'Rourke, meanwhile, is having to go around saying outrageous things on TV to continue his fundraising haul. Donald Trump is is a thug. He's acting like a mob boss right now. Um, he's had a history of witness tampering and intimidation. He's trying to do the same thing right now with the whistleblower, demanding that his identity be revealed so that he can intimidate him and, and frankly, so that he can intimidate other potential whistleblowers. As you know, under the whistleblower statute, there's no limit on the number of whistleblowers who can come forward. And we need more of them to share the truth, tell us the facts so that we can make informed decisions for the future of this country. It's the same tactic the president is using against the chairman of the House Intel Committee, uh, uh, trying to accuse him of treason, knowing full well that the ultimate punishment for treason is death. And this is someone who's trying to do their job, trying to ensure that the American people have the truth and that we hold this president Accountable. So he's demonstrated that he will stop at nothing to preserve his purchase on power. He'll stop at nothing to use his political office to dig up dirt on his political enemies. And we as a country must stop at nothing to make sure that we have the truth, accountability and justice at the end of the day. So we've got to stand up to his bullying and to his mob boss tactics. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, He's got to say this sort of stuff to stay viable. He's got to say this stuff to say this stuff to continue having buzz, but I think Beto's days are over as a candidate. Uh, he just hasn't realized it yet. It's kind of kind of funny to watch the media love affair when he was running against Ted Cruz. They all loved him, but now that he's running against Elizabeth Warren, the media doesn't want to pay any attention to him. 
Oh, and by the way, uh, our own former Sonny Purdue, former Sonny Purdue, our own former governor, Sonny Purdue, well, he has stuck his foot in his mouth big, according to the media in Wisconsin. President Donald Trump, this is from the Star Tribune in Madison, Wisconsin. The President Donald Trump's Agriculture Secretary, former Georgia Governor Sonny Perdue, said Tuesday during a stop in Wisconsin, he doesn't know if the family dairy farm can survive as the industry moves towards a factory farm model. In America, the big get bigger and the small go out, Purdue said. I don't think in America we, for any small business, we have a guaranteed income or guaranteed profitability. Now, what he's saying is not wrong. You do need to understand that, but it's going to be blown up by Democrats saying but the farmers are already upset by tariffs, and this is just going to be blown up. Now, speaking of being blown up, I was nearly blown up last night. i got to tell you all a personal story. We have to deviate. We have to deviate from, from text. Um, I nearly got divorced last night. Actually, I didn't nearly get divorced. I nearly got dead by my wife. So you know how Hollywood is boycotting Georgia, and they're not doing films in Georgia anymore because of the fetal heartbeat law. Anyway, uh, Marvel is filming Black Widow and Macon. Uh, they're here through tomorrow night. Uh, Scarlett Johansson apparently has been sighted in town. Uh, if you don't know, I broadcast the show. My flagship station is WGAU in Athens, Georgia, and I actually broadcast out of my house in Macon. And... So I took the kids downtown. Macon's got a great downtown. It's really revitalized over the last couple of years. Some some fantastic restaurants, brew pubs and stuff. And uh, the kids wanted to go down to Piedmont Brewing, which is a great little um, beer brewery that has fantastic food. No, the kids don't drink. Um, but they love, my wife loves the fish and chips, their chicken, their burgers, brisket. They've got great wings. I'm not a big wings eater, but I love their wings. They're, they're smoked. Um, but they also, they really want to go downtown because of Scarlett Johansson. So we, I drove the kids around downtown. They had the area roped off where Marvel was filming Black Widow. And it went behind the terminal station downtown Macon. There's an old brickworks factory. It burned down years ago. The walls had collapsed, and, and they've renovated it. They, they've rebuilt it. Uh, and I'm staring at this. They did a remarkably good job restoring this building. They've now got a big mixed martial arts MMA boxing gym back there. There are apartments. And I'm staring at this building, oblivious to the fact that there is a woman in a teeny tiny string bikini with her butt up in the air bent over uh for the world to see all in her glory uh architectural wonder that she was i never saw her and i'm stopped staring at this building and my wife and kids are like what are you looking at my kids are in the back dad dad what are you doing and as i turn the corner i, I guess there's somebody behind me and i'm looking i mean they've got new the, the whole building that the cement work they didn't expose the scene or they did expose the cement now she got the gray cement and, and the dark red brick it looks really really good and my wife hits me i'm like what, what what are you doing what are you hitting me and she thinks i'm staring at the woman in the bikini i had to make the block to see the woman in the bikini who by the way by the time we came back was bent over again for all the world to see her architectural wonders and she was impressive, too. But I was actually looking at the building. My life nearly ended, though, last night. No one believes I was really looking at the building. I swear I was. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. We're going to step away from politics because there's other news. And I think that California for once, has done something commendable, I think Georgia should do it. I actually think Tennessee needs to do it. Um, 
to give some encouragement to Tennessee's football players. California has decided that NCAA players can have endorsements and make money in college. I would like to see the SEC and the ACC follow suit. Uh, under new California law, signed into law by the governor, the NCAA cannot punish athletes in collegiate sports from pursuing endorsement deals and endorsement deals and making money. You know, the NCAA makes a mint off college sports, uh, particularly college football. They make a ton of money, the NCAA does. Colleges make millions of dollars off of their college football teams, college basketball teams, and the like. And the players get absolutely nothing. Many of them come from poor schools. They come from impoverished families. And they go into college. The families have their entire hopes riding on these kids. And they don't let the kids do anything. And the families have to stay struggling. And, you know, the, the real dirty secret here is many times colleges have rich alumni who help out these families. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Talk about your, your quid pro Joe, quid pro quo. Um, they're doing it, and they don't get caught. And because they don't get caught, uh, it happens with the rich schools doing it. Uh, the poorer schools, the smaller schools, it's harder to do because there's fewer people, more people likely to talk. But it happens. I don't. I think the University of Georgia should allow um, Jake Fromm and others to make money. Allow, allow them to get endorsement deals. I mean, the universities, are, are they not going to make money off of Jake Fromm? Let Jake Fromm make money off Jake Fromm. Around the country do this. Basketball teams, football teams. I think what California did is good. I do not like the NCAA. And you know what? The moment I decided I genuinely hated the NCAA was the moment they decided that uh, universities and colleges needed to get rid of uh, offensive mascots. Like if you had a mascot who was an Indian or you had the Raging Cajuns in South Louisiana, oh, that, that might offend somebody. We can't have them. You, you got you to gotta do puppies and unicorns. Those are your mascots. Imaginary animals. We can't have anyone. It, it, it aggravates me to no end that the chickens and the Braves got the little idiot mascot out there, which I guess now some people have decided they like because he's cute. And well, we, we, what happened to the Braves Indian? They don't want you to even do the tomahawk chop anymore. Oh, that's a, we might offend somebody. You're offending rich white liberals. That's who you're offending. You're not offending any Native Americans, American Indians, if you want to call them. I'm I'm just I'm clueless as to why we shouldn't do this. Now, I don't know what the opposition is other than the NCAA and the um, colleges. They don't want the competition. I think we should we should do this now. Shifting back into politics, the president has said he's he's been observed. This is the latest leak. Drip, drip, drip again. I'm telling you, this is all coordinated to make the president look like he's out of his mind. He's crazy. He needs to be removed. They didn't get the 25th Amendment option, so they're going for the impeachment option. The president apparently told people he wanted a, a very big wall that was electrified so that they could electrocute illegal immigrants trying to get over it, that they should shoot them in the legs to hurt them, and also that he wanted a trench filled with alligators. And White House staff felt compelled to do a cost 
analysis of what it would take to build a wall with a trench filled with alligators. I kid you not. We don't know that it's actually true. I kid you not that it's in the media. You know, I've heard this before. I started thinking about it. You know what? So I did a, when I was at Red State, I did a Red State gathering in Austin, Texas in 2010. And Herman Cain came. Herman uh, and I got to know each other. This was before I even thought about working at WSB. Um, Herman wanted to run for president. And so Herman came and he spoke. And one of the ideas he gave on stage that I thought was so funny is on the issue of illegal immigration, he wanted to build a very high wall, a 100-foot high wall with a 200-foot moat, and he was going to fill it with alligators. And if you could climb the wall and you could swim the trench full of alligators, we would have a job waiting for you on the other side. That that was the line he had. And people fell out laughing. And I thought, my goodness, that's the president. The president is using Herman Cain's line. That's all this is. Now, the president apparently took it seriously. Uh, he also wanted to shoot illegal aliens in the legs to slow them down. They told him he couldn't do it. They, he wanted them to use uh, to shoot down drones that might be coming across the border. Uh, they told him they couldn't do that. There are various things he wanted to do. They said were acts of war. Basically, everything the president wanted to do, they couldn't do. But um, that that we're going to hear a whole lot more about the alligators and the moats. And I know where he got that line from. He got that line from Herman Cain. I have heard Herman Cain say that line on more than one occasion. Um, oh, hang on a second. There's some breaking news. It is, for those of you listening later on delay, it's 11.41 a.m. where I am right now. There's breaking news. Bernie Sanders' campaign has said the presidential candidate has had to have a heart procedure for a blocked artery, was canceling all appearances until further notice. The 78-year-old Sanders experienced chest discomfort during an event Tuesday night and sought medical evaluation. According to the campaign statement, it said two stints were successfully inserted and that Sanders is conversing in good spirits. His campaign manager, Fez Shakir, said on a telephone call with supporters Tuesday night, um, did not mention any health concerns about the candidate. Sanders said the state of the campaign is strong, and he played up Sanders' strong fundraising total for the uh, third quarter. Sanders canceled some appearances in South Carolina because he lost his voice. Um, to insert the stint, doctors threaded a tiny balloon inside a blocked artery to widen it. The stint is a small wire mesh tube. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, this is breaking news happening right now. The Associated Press reporting this, that Bernie Sanders has canceled all campaign events until further notice, had to have a heart stint um, after suffering uh, chest pain. That's happening now. Aren't you glad you got me here to handle the breaking news? Uh, everything is canceled for Bernie Sanders right now. Okay. We can move back into the other news of the day. Um, I want to talk about something near and dear to me. Yes, if it sounds like I'm rushing through stuff, I've got stuff I've wanted to talk about for a week. And I've been putting it off and putting it off because all the impeachment stuff. And I finally decided I'm not playing the media game anymore. I'm not playing the drip, drip, drip of the media. We got to cover every little breaking detail about impeachment. We got to cover every little detail. No, I don't want to. I want to talk about Spider-Man. I finally saw Spider-Man far from home in its entirety. I had seen bits and pieces. In fact, I went to the theater to see it. And when it came out, and I got called out for one reason or another, um, and I finally was able to finish it. I, my, I wanted to take my son with me to see it, but I couldn't get my son to see it. 
He didn't want to go to the theater to see it. He was afraid it would be too intense for him. He doesn't like super intense movies, even even at 10. He, he doesn't really like intense movies. He finally saw it at home and loved it uh, when it came out on iTunes. So I watched it as well, and it's a good movie. And it came uh, out on video shortly after Sony decided it was going to walk away from its deal with Disney. Now, there's some backstory to this that you need to know. Disney apparently wanted 30% of all the money made on the Spider-Man franchise. The Spider-Man franchise is the last remaining franchise that Disney has not brought back into the fold. Disney, by buying Fox, was able to bring back in the X-Men and Fantastic Four. But Sony owns not just Spider-Man, but all the ancillary Spider-Man characters, including Venom, 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 uh, Spider-Man, and the like. And... Sony has uh, the Tobey Maguire, the first two Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. They were okay, but all the other ones, they weren't great. I liked the Andrew Garfield. The first one. Okay. The second one was stupid. Um, but Tom Holland has done a great job and Kevin Feige, who is in charge of the Marvel cinematic universe, loves Spider-Man. You know, Kevin Feige actually, um, played a role in the original Spider-Man's. There were all sorts of people saying, Hey, they can do Spider. Sony can do Spider-Man without Kevin Feige. Look at the, look at the Toby McGuire ones. Actually, Kevin Feige was actually behind the scenes, played a, a role in shaping those movies and people didn't pay attention to it. So anyway, uh, Spider-Man, it Disney wanted a third of the, of the revenue. And I am told by really good sources. I have sources in Hollywood. I do actually. I also read some of the real good trade association. There, there's a great one out there called the Ankler. Uh, Richard Rushfeld's Ankler. It's a fantastic newsletter in Hollywood. It, it doesn't fluff everybody up. And down. You know, when you read the Hollywood Reporter, Variety and stuff, a lot of this stuff, it's all written to get access to powerful people. So you read and it's all lavishing praise on on the brilliant genius of all these people. Like, like for example, Harvey Weinstein. For years, the Hollywood Reporter, the uh, the Variety and the like. Uh, Harvey Weinstein could do no wrong. He was a hero. He revitalized small cinema. And, all. and he was a cretin. He was a moral creep. And everybody knew it. And these trade publications, they always do that. So you, you go with these independent groups like um, uh, The Ankler, Richard Rushfield's um, email newsletter, where he just tells it like it is. And he actually said, and it's been confirmed by other sources, that Sony never even responded to Disney. Disney wanted 30% of Spider-Man revenue, and or so the original leak was 50%. It turned out to actually be 30% what they wanted, and Sony never responded. They never even acted like they got a notice of it. And so Disney is the one who let it leak that Sony wanted out. They were done. They didn't want to be part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They wanted Spider-Man all of themselves. And fans had a total meltdown. And the reason fans had a total meltdown is because it's very clear that the Marvel Cinematic Universe was building Spider-Man up to be the replacement for Iron Man. You watch Far From Home, it's very clear. Um, there's a lot of integration between Spider-Man and, and uh, Avengers Endgame. And Marvel wanted Spider-Man as a part of it. Even if Sony owned it, Marvel was willing to let Sony profit from it. And fans had a complete meltdown. Well, apparently it got word back, went back to Japan, which is thinking of selling the Sony, um, selling Sony Pictures anyway. And they let the head of Sony Pictures have it. Absolute blow up, apparently. And 
Sony has now come back and agreed to give Disney 25% of the gross of all the future pictures. Uh, and and Spider-Man will be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Tom Holland apparently very happy. The director very happy. You know, interestingly enough, the director stepped away, uh, who has done all the Tom Holland pictures and played a role in the Russo uh, Avengers movies, and now he's come back too, which is good. Uh, it, it never ceases to amaze me how stupid some people are in Hollywood, particularly at Sony. Um, Spider-Man has made them a lot of money, even with Disney taking a cut of it. Even if Disney were to take 50% of the cut, the Spider-Man movies would even be would still be the most profitable Sony movies. Sony does not have a deep catalog of movies. They've got James Bond, but even James Bond doesn't turn in the revenue that Spider-Man has turned in. They had a surprise hit with Venom, but let's be honest, Venom wasn't a great movie. I mean, it was good. It was good, but man, had they they wanted to do it themselves. Venom could not clear a billion dollars without Kevin Feige's help. Now they may be able to rope in Kevin Feige. And um, at least they'll be able to rebuild. But I just, you know, and this goes into the the Netflix stuff. I, I really, people are, I got a, got angry email two weeks ago when I was mentioning Netflix again that people say they're tired of me talking about Netflix. I'm just fascinated by the rise of the streaming services. I'm sorry. And I don't want to spend every day talking raw politics and impeachment. It bores me. It should bore you. Not everything is political. And people want to make everything political. And right now the media wants to make everything about Donald Trump. Everything's got to be about Donald Trump. I I, I couldn't care less. I mean, come on, people. We are seeing a lot of people who court who court the cud. <laughs> it's been a long morning already. I need more coffee. They cut the cord. They cut the cord on cable and they went with streaming services. And now look what you're having to do. You got to get Netflix for some stuff. You're going to have to get NBC Universal's Peacock for something else. You're going to have to get Disney for ESPN, Hulu, and Disney. You're going to have to get Apple TV if you want the Reese Witherspoon, Jennifer Aniston stuff. Uh, who else is out there? Uh, Paramount has something coming. Um, who else is out there? I don't know. Disney's going to be the one that kills everything. I think, I think, uh, Disney is going to be the one that kills Netflix. Netflix doesn't have a lot of intellectual property, but now what's happening with Disney. So Disney's prices are going to be the same as Netflix, but you're going to get ESPN plus and you're going to get Hulu. Oh, and there's Amazon prime. We can't forget Amazon prime. Uh, Hulu will come into the Disney thing. And all the people who cut the cord so they weren't paying for 200 channels, they could just get what they want. Well, now they're going to have a streaming package where you're going to have to have Apple and Amazon and Disney and Hulu and ESPN and CBS. Let's not forget CBS. You're going to have to have HBO uh, Max. You're going to have to have Netflix. You're going to have to all, all essentially, you're going to have a cable package. I, I was listening to somebody the other day. I was listening to an entertainment podcast. And they said, imagine, imagine if someone put together a package and and they had all of the different streaming services you wanted and they called them channels and it came through a cable in your wall and so they called it a cable package of channels imagine if we had that we're going full circle into this situation i i find that rather funny uh we are back to where we were with cable um I, you know, I've still got cable. And the main reason I, I still have my cable, I've got direct TV, the NFL package. I don't want to give up the NFL package. And no one in, no one in the streaming services can do sports like live TV. Even the ESPN stuff. Yeah, a buddy of mine just, just texted me and says he thinks Apple wants. I think Apple should buy Netflix, except Netflix is so overrated right now. What's going to happen is you're going to have to have the Disney service launch and crash Netflix to make it worth Apple buying. 
But they've got the film. I mean, The Crown is actually good stuff. Apple, if they bought Netflix, would own Daredevil. The Daredevil series in Netflix, it's not going over to Disney. It's staying at Netflix. They're just not making it anymore. And that was Netflix's decision. Netflix decided to stop making uh, the the uh, Defenders, the the uh, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron uh, Dragon. Sorry to say Iron Giant there. I have kids. Uh, and Daredevil. They decided to stop making them out of spite to Disney. Disney wanted Netflix, told Netflix they could keep making them, and Netflix canceled them. Uh, Netflix really thought they were going to be the top dog. Netflix really thought they were going to build something no one else could compete against. And now guess what? Everybody else is going to compete against them, and they've never built up their intellectual property. So let their stock crash, and then Apple will buy them, and Apple can get all this other stuff. Because, you know, I love my Apple, but my God, have you people run the I, iOS 13 update? It's crap. I mean, iOS 13 and 13.1, and now they've got 13.1.2 is out today. It is the most bug-filled piece of software Apple has ever come out with. The cult is failing me. It's failing everyone. I don't know what's going on with Apple. They rushed out too many products at one time, software and hardware, and it screwed them up. And they're trying to get out the streaming service and the arcade service. They're making me subscribe to everything. It's it's ridiculous. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Have I dazzled you with the streaming service? I, I, you should see the text messages I'm getting. You know, occasionally, this, this show, we don't get a lot of phone calls here. I get it. Um, a lot of people listening in their offices or elsewhere, but I get a lot of text messages from people and direct messages from people on social media, uh, who are listening to the program. And, and I, I notice the older you are, the more likely you are to call in. But so anyway, <laughs> the number of text messages and direct messages I have from people right now saying, Oh my gosh, iOS 13 is garbage. Yes. Yes. It is garbage. It absolutely is. You know what else is garbage? All of the nutritional data that says don't eat red meat. Uh, turns out uh, red meat's not going to kill you. Scientists have done a massive comprehensive study of eating red meat. And the study shows that eating red meat is not going to kill you. It, it's not going to raise your triglycerides. It's not going to do all the stuff that for years nutritionists have said. Now, nutritionists, you should know, are calling BS on this. They, they say it's not a real study or the study is flawed, whatnot. Essentially, it's a study of all of the studies. They've gone back and looked at all the studies in addition to new research. And they're showing that all the studies about red meat, red meat being bad for you, are, are wrong. There is a catch. You know who's really upset about this? Progressives. And it is progressive nutritionists and others who are coming out upset about this. I wish I was making this up, but it is all very politicized. Uh, it is people say it coming out and trying to undermine uh, the scientists because they say if people eat meat, it's going to be bad for the environment. Remember, here's Andrew Yang, uh, the Democratic run Democrat running for president on this issue. Hi, I'm Madison Dyer. I'm a sophomore at Georgetown studying healthcare management. And my question was, realistically, the only way to curb expansion and reduce the environmental impact of the cattle industry is to reduce demand. Um, what policy adjustments would you make to reduce this demand? I'm glad you asked that because we wanted to talk about food and the, the rate at which agriculture, not everybody thinks about this, is a major contributor to, uh, to CO2. Now, cattle is very energy consuming and energy expensive. Uh, and if you project forward on what we would need to do to reduce emissions, you would want to modify Americans' diets over time. Now, some of that is happening naturally through education. I do think it's difficult to regulate diets. Um, so what you would want to do, again, is you'd want those uh, cattle producers to have to internalize the cost of emissions. 
because if your cattle ends up um, polluting a lot, which they do just naturally, we don't hate them for it. I mean, they're just big animals. <laughs> don't hate the cattle, hate them, whatever. Uh, so then what that would naturally do, and some people are going to hate this, but it would probably make those products more expensive. Um, and that is appropriate because there's a cost to producing food in that way. Uh, and so if you were to make it more expensive, then you would end up changing consumption patterns. Yep. See, the left, they want to change consumption patterns of eating red meat. So it needs to be bad for you and it needs to be expensive. And when scientists come out and say, hey, actually, no, well, it's the scientists who are the bad guys for telling you the truth. Think about that. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow.